We are uh, continuing a series, working our way through the book of James. So if you have a Bible, you want to turn to James chapter 2. We're going to be in the second half of the chapter this week. Uh, Continuing to explore, our series title is Faith That Isn't Dead. And we recognize that what God wants for us is a faith that's alive and active. A faith that is working. In fact, the big idea today from our passage is living faith works. Living faith works. Um, when I was, uh, let's see, it was the summer of 1975. Uh, I was uh, just five years old. And uh, my parents um, and, and uh, um, their two children, myself and my younger brother, lived in Lewistown, Montana. Uh, my dad was enrolled at Montana Institute of the Bible, and he was uh, preparing to become a missionary. And so he was enrolled there, a four-year program to get his degree. And so um, he was studying there. Well, uh, the school had purchased an old Air Force base out in the country, and so that's where we lived. We went to church in town, and so in the summer, my, uh, myself, my younger brother, and my mom were all uh, in church at a vacation Bible school for the week, okay? And I can remember um, being in a basement classroom. Remember when those old churches, all the classrooms were uh, underneath, right? The sanctuary, they were down the basement. So we're in the basement, kind of in a corner room. And Mrs. Whitworth was my teacher. And uh, she and my mom were cousins. They'd grown up together. They knew each other. And, uh, and so her husband and my dad were both going to the school there. And so... Um, she was my teacher, and I remember her teaching us about our spiritual condition, that uh, she revealed to us that we um, were sinners, right? And that we were in a path, walking down a road where we'd experience judgment by God, and that something needed to be done about that. If we face God's judgment without anything done, we'd face eternity separated from him in hell. And so I remember hearing that, of course, um, uh, I didn't want that kind of outcome for my life, but I also remember uh, feeling just um, God move in my, in my heart and in, in, in my soul. And I felt convicted. I wanted to, to, for that to change, and I wanted to get right with God. And so she said, if anybody wants to talk more about this, you should stay after class. And I did. And I remember she used John 3.16, probably in some other verses, to explain to me the path to salvation how um, God had uh, sent his son to the earth. And, and he uh, did that because he loves us so much. And, and that ultimately Jesus had died on a cross to pay for my sin. And if I were to put my trust in him, put my faith in him, believe in him and what he did for me, that I could move from a place of judgment before God to a place where I was forgiven. And I remember praying with her, making a decision, and something changed inside of me. And even at five years old, I knew I had sin in my life and I knew that I needed forgiveness. Um, and so I began to grow a little bit, slowly uh, began to mature. And there was evidence of that. I loved God and I wanted to follow him. Now, I didn't do that perfectly. I knew that part of my sin was that I didn't treat my younger brother right. And I didn't perfectly start treating my brother right after that. I still had some issues there. It took a little bit um, for me to grow out of that. Um, but, uh, but that, that faith in me was real and it grew. And I know that, um, in that moment, in that, in that moment, when I made that decision and I prayed that God came into my life. Now, when I, as I continued to grow, there were times where I didn't live for God. 
I remember moving to Utah when I was 13. I've told some of you guys this story and my parents were missionaries and I went into school and I started sharing the gospel with some boys there, some guys, classmates, and they were young men that had grown up as Mormons and I kind of challenged them on the gospel according to Joseph Smith and, and they didn't really care for that. And they listened to me a little bit, but then it kind of got contentious and I started to experience some opposition, right? And instead of standing up under that, I kind of shirked back. I just kind of just wanted to blend into the scenery. Like I didn't want to be the focus of all that attention. And I started living and doing things that weren't right. I knew they weren't right. And so I just, my faith just kind of flatlined. It wasn't active, wasn't growing. I kind of said, man, I'm not going to do this right now. Uh, it's not working. It's too hard. And then uh, I remember as a sophomore, in between my uh, Christmas break, we moved from California to, uh, to um, Idaho, Blackfoot, Idaho. And I enrolled in school there. And I remember as we made that move, I said, I'm going to live for God. I want to live for you, Jesus. I want to live my life for you. And so moving to that school, I, I, I did. And I lived differently. And my faith was growing. It was, it was alive. And then I made a move my senior year, and I didn't live for him. And then I got to college and I kind of committed my life for him. And, and yet there's been times even as an adult where my faith wasn't really active and growing. It's, it's kind of taken, uh, there's been seasons where there's just been a pause button a little bit. Or I, I wasn't really living it out the way I know I should. Now what happens when those things occur? Um, I have friends that might say, well, if you aren't living for God actively, then you may not be saved. Right? And so um, salvation is tied to whether or not you're actively living for God, whether your faith is alive. Um, I've got friends kind of on two different extremes that might say that. Some that might be a little more charismatic, some that might be a little more reformed that say, you know, if there's not evidence in your life, something's wrong, you may not be saved. Uh, and yet I know that when I trusted Christ, <laughs> like God came into my life. And I know he didn't leave throughout those times of obedience, lack of obedience, right? And so it's interesting. We need to know how salvation works. I think it becomes really practical. I know a lot of people in the church that I talk to at times, they will say something like, well, um, when I die, I hope that God will let me into heaven. And, uh, and maybe you feel that way sometimes. How do I really know? I think most people out there uh, hope, but they're not sure. And I think the Bible teaches a way in which we can have absolute certainty that we're going to spend eternity with God, that we are walking in accordance with God's will. We've done what he's required of us. And so we don't have to wonder, based on our behavior, whether or not we're going to spend eternity with him. It matters what we think about salvation. James, our teacher, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to press into some issues regarding salvation. What should it look like? <clears throat> How should our lives uh, be lived and what is it really that saves us? And he's going to press into this. I heard a conversation this week, and every once in a while I listen to some conversations out there online. There's uh, public figures, right? Different people that speak to different issues. And there's a guy named Ben Shapiro. He has a podcast and speaks on lots of different issues. He's a smart guy. He's a Jewish uh, young man. And uh, he did an interview with John MacArthur, who's a prominent pastor in California and has been for years, good Bible teacher, and uh, he asked John MacArthur, what's the difference between Judaism and Christianity? And his interpretation of John MacArthur's answer is the only difference is Jesus. And he reasoned that Christianity really backfills works, okay, uh, into the process. Um, after uh, talking to him and reasoning, and again, he's doing his best to understand logically how this works, but he says Christianity retroactive 
is a retroactive acts-based faith or works-based faith. You believe that God's chosen. You believe you're going to be saved because of God, but you backfill the works. And so they better be there or else you may not be saved. And he's picked up on this from the way in which people articulate salvation. I think it's really important that we understand how salvation works, that we're solid on it. I talked to somebody just as they left last service. They said, I've got a friend, a coworker who's got cancer and they're struggling and I want to make sure I explain salvation to them so they can know for sure, right? And so I think we need to know it matters how we view what the scriptures say. And uh, as we engage our passage today in James chapter two, starting verse 14, the first principle we're going to see regarding faith And regarding the nature of faith is that a living faith is a saving faith. A faith that's alive is a saving faith. Look at James chapter 2 and verse 14. This is what he writes. It is, uh, he says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Mm. That's a tough question, right? And he's obviously asking the question because there's some issues with the Jewish folk that he is pastoring. The individuals that have come out of adherence to the law of Moses and they're following the law of Moses and they're believing they're saved by their adherence to the law. And now they move into the law of grace and they put their trust in Jesus and things change regarding salvation and how it works. In fact, the apostle Paul would write in the book of Romans that the law never had the power to save anyone. It just revealed to us our inability to live up to God's expectations of us. And so that isn't how salvation comes into our lives. It is by a different means, a different process. It comes to us, the New Testament teaches us, by the grace of God. So what role does faith play and how how do we know we have saving faith? If James is arguing, if your faith isn't put into action in your life, well, Does it really have the power to save you? Is that the kind of faith that you need, right? And yet he also acknowledges the power of faith, that it is absolutely essential to experience the grace of God in order to be made right with God. We've got to put our faith in Jesus. The New Testament describes to us what that gospel message is, that Jesus came to earth, God in the flesh, and that God walked among us. Jesus was identified as being all God, 100% God and 100% man. He lived among us and he revealed to us who God is, what God wants of us. And Jesus said important things like he was the only way to the Father and and that if you wanted to access God, you needed to come through him and and that he was the, uh, within him uh, was contained all truth and and, and all, uh, and and graciousness. And so there's this, uh, identification as Jesus walks the earth and shares with us what God wants from us. And so we realize that in and through Jesus was God's plan to save the world. And so uh, in order to experience the salvation of God, we have to believe the good news of the gospel, which is that Jesus was God, that he uh, walked the earth, that he died on a cross, that he was buried in a tomb, And that he rose again on the third day, proving that everything he claimed was true and that he really is God and he really did have the power to pay for our sins. That's essential to the gospel, to believe that. But just believing is enough. We got to trust in that work that he did 
that it's enough for me. I've got to trust in what he did. Um, And in order to do that, I also have to recognize that I have an issue. That I'm not just a good person doing a good job in this life and better than everybody else I know. And I haven't killed anybody. You know, I can't think that way. I've got to recognize that I am a sinner separated from God. And that I need saving. (laughs) I need forgiveness. And that I'm going to face judgment. In our world today, there are some prominent Christians who are, uh, are moving away from the faith. Used to call it apostasy. You know, they're leaving the faith, saying, I'm not a Christian anymore. And the reason they're doing it almost collectively is because of the judgment of God. Just feels too harsh. How could a loving God judge people and, and judge them for their sexual orientation or for, you know, all these social issues? It's just becoming very uncomfortable for some Christians to hold to what the Bible says. You and I need to understand the nature of salvation. Whether or not our culture finds it palatable or not does not matter because it is the way to salvation. It's the way to God. Whether or not, right, it's popular, whether or not everybody understands it. I just heard this week that um, Franklin Graham's been banned for the most part from Australia because of this message. It's too offensive. It's hate speech. It, it hurts people to proclaim the gospel. And so this is the world we live in. And yet here's what the Bible says. We are in need of saving. On our own, we're not gonna get there. We can't make ourselves measure up to the standard of God. And so we must come to him humbly, knowing we have a need, putting our faith and trust in him to experience salvation. James, again, is addressing the nature of faith. And he's going to say, and he is saying, that if we have saving faith, then it's going to result in a change in our lives. Saving faith will produce a change because saving faith puts us in the flow of God's will. Uh, Look at Matthew 7, Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount, covering all kinds of topics for his Jewish audience. And in Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23, he says these um, Words that uh, would cause us to pause and to listen and consider what it is he's talking about. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. I kind of think of uh, people uh, coming up to the gates of heaven, right? Millions and millions of people and somebody saying, hey, Jesus, hey. You know, kind of like when the president goes up to speak and people are like, hey, Mr. President. And some he acknowledges, the ones that are giving him some good contributions. Hey, yeah. Jesus, Jesus. And then they're going to say, hey, we did uh, amazing things in your name. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. We did all kinds of good stuff. Jesus, in your name. Verse 23, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Jesus, again, speaking to a Jewish audience who's been trained in the uh, adherence to the law of Moses, saying, you, if you're trusting in that, you're not going to make it. Here's the way in which you get to heaven, is you've got to know God, and you've got to be walking in accordance with his will. And of course, the will of God was to send Jesus to earth. And it is only in and through Jesus that even the Jews of this world will find their way into the kingdom of God. Jesus points out the importance 
of us walking in line with God's will. And James is pressing us in the same direction. There's a transformation that needs to take place. Just doing good work, doing things that we know God cares about, even if it's uh, trying to reach our friends and neighbors, trying to preach the gospel, trying to see people come to Christ, trying to see counsel people, right, so their lives uh, become better. There's great things we can do in Jesus' name, but if we're not walking in line with his will, if we're not walking with him, if our faith isn't active and alive, James says there's a problem. The second thing we see in this passage is that living faith is going to bring about an internal transformation. Living faith, next we see, leads to a sincere love for others. Look at um, James chapter 2. Let's keep reading in verse 15. He illustrates it this way. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. And you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? True saving faith that's alive and active is going to transform our hearts towards others. James says you can't just see a need and then say the right things. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm praying for you. I hope everything goes good. We've all been guilty of that. Doesn't mean it's not sincere. But he's like a, a, a living faith is going to move to do something, to make a difference because of compassion that is going to exist in your heart towards others. Faith and works, it seems, are kind of a battle, and they have been throughout the church. They still are. There's debates uh, that continue to rage regarding faith and works. How are we saved? And I think James is really saying in this book, and specifically in this passage, that there should be no battle between faith and works. It shouldn't be a battle. They go together. And the works that we do, we see in Scripture, come as a result of the faith that we have. But they go together. Compassion that we have towards others is going to grow in us when we put our faith in Jesus. Because our faith placed in him means that we're trusting in him. It also means that we believe him. We continue to believe him and trust him regarding what we should do and how we should live. And that, that attention paid to him, that focus on him, brings about a transformation internally. All of the world's religions seek to modify behavior. They do modify behavior. And yet, transformation of the heart is something that only God can do. A change of who we are, a shift in our motives and in our character and in our very being comes as a result of our faith placed in Jesus and the presence of God in our lives. The challenge that James gives here is obviously placed because we don't always do this. His audience wasn't doing it. There were questions, there were problems. They were claiming to believe, claiming to have put their faith in Jesus, and yet their lives were not reflecting it. And he's warning them and challenging them. Hey, kind of hear him say, hey, hey, wake up. Your faith needs to be alive and active. You need to be living this out. You need to uh, be continually putting your trust in Jesus and walking with him. And the result is he's going to change your life. J.C. Watts Jr. said, compassion can't be measured in dollars and cents. It does come with a price tag, though, and that price tag isn't the amount of money spent. The price tag is love. Romans 12, 9, don't just pretend to love others. 
really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. First Peter 1.22, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. One of the, the things that can take some time in us as we mature and grow in our faith is that transformation of our hearts towards other people. The compassion that we begin to have as we view others, even those who challenge us, even those who wrong us, even those who hurt us. As we walk with God by faith, as our faith is active and growing, there's a transformation that occurs within us. And one of the primary ways we see that play out is in our behavior towards other people. Sometimes our ministry in the world looks a little bit like a notch in the gun belt ministry. We want to see, again, something good happen. We want to see somebody get saved. We want to see somebody uh, change their life and get pointed in the right direction, get a, a marriage help, get you know, someone so they're not so anxious and depressed. And so we want to see those things happen, and we're working to see them happen. And yet our hearts may or may not really be compassionate towards those people. Sincere love for people is the product of true saving faith. And I think that's what James is pressing into. Our heart is drawn to help others because we want to, and that results in real help, not just saying the right things. There's a little boy that was sent to the store to get a dozen eggs by his mom, and he got those eggs, and he was headed back home, and he tripped and stumbled and dropped the eggs, and they all broke. We know how expensive eggs are, and he was pretty concerned started crying, and a group kind of gathered around him. It's okay, are you? It's going to be all right. They're just eggs. Yeah, but mom's going to kill me, you know. Well, one man, out of compassion of his heart, was moved to do something, so he took a dollar bill out of his wallet, and he handed it to the boy. And he turned to the crowd, and he said, I care a dollar's worth. How much do the rest of you care? And, uh, and there's a good challenge in that. It's not that giving and money is all that's about, we can give towards problems without having true compassion, but if we have compassion towards others, we will do something to help them. Notice the real work here that James is pointing to, I believe, is a work that comes from a transformed heart. A salvation that is based on active faith that is alive is going to be worked out and it's going to be demonstrated through our lives in the main way that's going to show up again, I believe, is in our attitude towards others and how we approach them, how we interact with people. Our tendencies towards old behavior of just performance is going to melt into real transformation and a real concern for others. One of the things James moves into next in his challenge to these folks regarding their faith is that living faith, he's going to say, goes beyond belief Look at verses 19 and 20. He says, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Our world is a world of belief. And uh, we live in a world that uh, people claim, uh, they say, this is my truth, right? And then my truth is based on what I want to piece together and what I want to believe and what I want to think is right. And yet uh, that belief, intellectual belief in and of itself doesn't produce a lot of change. It can keep change from happening. 
as Christians or people that claim to be Christians pick and choose what they want to believe, they end up with a faith that doesn't really change them. It just lands them looking like everyone else. It's a faith in the gospel. It's a faith in Jesus that changes us because it both affirms and encourages us and it also challenges who we are and how we're living. James says, again, the demons believe in one God. (laughs) Um, Of course, that reference to one God is in opposition to the polytheism that was rampant in the world of his time. Rome was polytheistic. They believed in many gods. And so the Jews were monotheistic. They believed in one God. He's like, that's great. But even the demons know there's just one God. They're not following him. They're not surrendered to him. Their faith isn't in him. And so again, he's pressing beyond just saying, I believe. And our, our world's full of people that maybe believe in Jesus, but their faith hasn't been placed in him. They're not following him and they're, they're not being saved. I think we've got to press beyond just belief. We've got to press into faith. And we place our faith in the things we choose to. And for most of us, the struggle is we place our faith in ourselves. And we believe in Jesus, but we have faith in ourselves. And we want to trust Jesus for a ticket right out of hell, but we want to continue to maintain control of our lives. We want to dictate what happens. And saving faith is not going to do that. Saving faith is going to move beyond just belief and control. It's going to move move to a place of surrender, a place where God can change me. If I don't surrender to God, If my faith doesn't move me to a place where I'm listening to him and I'm following him, then I will stay the same. I'll resist the internal change that God wants to bring about. It's only as I surrender to him that he can change me. He will transform me. And this is what we need. Trusting Jesus is a life-altering faith. It starts with faith. And works follow it. Works and faith. They do go together. Living faith goes with good works like peanut butter goes with jelly. Don't be giving me a peanut butter sandwich with no jelly on it. (laughs) We know that's not right. Can we agree on that? Peanut butter and jelly. Hey, listen, uh, let's read the last few verses here. Verses 21 through 26. Don't, uh, Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scripture says. Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute's another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Saving faith, good works, they're inseparable, but we're not saved by our good works. Our good works come as a result of our salvation. When I wobbled in my faith, as maybe some of you have as well, I didn't move from being saved to being not being saved. Because the Bible talks about salvation in a couple of different terms. One of them is justification. 
It's a legal term. It's to be made right with God. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 refer to this among other scriptures where um, to be justified, to be saved, is when I put my trust in Jesus and my faith is in him and what he did for me. And in that moment, God changes me. The sin that's in my life is removed from my record, from my account. It's wiped clean. And the, the righteousness of Jesus is put into me, right? And so God now sees me in Christ. I've been made right. I've been saved. It's justification. But then the Bible talks about being holy and being righteous and living a holy life. And the Bible refers to that in a term we call sanctification, which is being set apart for the work of God. And that's where, yes, I make decisions to go along with what God's trying to do in me, the transformation he wants to bring in me. I answer to him. I respond to him in obedience and he changes me from the inside out. And then there's glorification, which is when I die and when the resurrection occurs, I will be transitioned into a body that will live for all eternity, that is perfect and is not plagued by sin. Saving faith is a faith that results in a transformation. So there's a bit of this that is about perspective, how I see things, how I view them. Everyone in the church has a view of faith and works, but how we view it determines how we see salvation working and the role that good works play and how they play into our lives. The problem I have with putting my salvation on my behavior is now I am saved either based on my obedience or my lack of obedience, and that would put salvation in my hands. And thankfully, I do not see that in scripture. I see salvation firmly in God's hands. He asked me to put my faith in him and then he saves me. And so I would encourage you with that, that that's what the scriptures reveal. And yet James here is challenging our sanctification, asking us if it's any good if the faith we have in God isn't producing a change in us, if our actions and behaviors aren't following that faith. Living faith works. It makes a difference in us. And so perspective matters. Uh, I had a pastor recently read this verse, John 14, 15. If you love me, obey my commandments. Jesus said that. If you love me, obey my commandments. And he said for a long time, what I heard was, if I'm obedient, then it shows I love God. But my obedience is what needs to be in place first. And I'm obedient, then God sees that I love him. And that's a performance reaction, right, to good work. You could also recognize the passage from this perspective. Loving Jesus is where it starts. Because he says, if you love me, right, then you will obey me. And so perhaps we need to focus more on love. But the point is that perspective affects how we see it. At different times in our life, we probably view it differently. The sovereignty of God or the free will of man, which is it? Faith and works, which is it? Right? Is it love or is it obedience? Which is it? Well, the answer to these questions is yes, it's both. Uh, I got a picture that you may have seen before that I think kind of helps illustrate this perspective thing. Um, it's a picture that uh, in it, you're probably going to see one of two images. You'll either see a younger woman or an older woman. And once you see one, it might be hard to see the other. But the truth is they're both there. Abraham believed God and then he acted on it. 
his actions demonstrated his faith was really in God. Now, Abraham didn't always obey God. There were times he questioned God. There were times he didn't obey, right? But ultimately he did. Rahab, remember, was a Canaanite prostitute in Jericho. And as the people of Israel crossed the Jordan and were to take the land of Canaan, she believed that the God of Israel was going to be victorious. She believed in him. And so she acted in that faith to help them gain the victory. Christians aren't sinless, but we sin less. And saving faith will move us to a place of surrender. And we may struggle with sin, and we will, but we're going to be moving towards obedience to Christ. It's a love of him. It's a faith in him. It's a trust in what he has to say. That is when our faith is active and alive. And so I just want to encourage you that living faith works. Dead faith doesn't work. It leaves us high and dry. It leaves us without hope. It leaves us without power. But living faith works. And so I just want to implore you and implore me as we move into this new year, let's make sure we're energizing our faith, that we continue to place it in Jesus, the only one who can save. God, thank you for your goodness to us, for your love for us. Thank you for dying so that we could know you. I pray for each person here that the faith within them would be energized, that it would come alive and that it would work in their life to produce the things that you want, that their love for you would grow. God, protect them from the lies of the enemy, the attacks, the discouragement, the doubt that comes. God, help us as your people to continue to walk by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.